From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. In a landmark judgment, the federal court has found that the government owes children a duty of care in preventing harm from the impacts of climate change. The case, which centred around the proposed expansion of a New South Wales coal mine, could have far-reaching legal implications in Australia. Today, writer for the monthly Kieran Pender, on the case that saw a group of teenagers take on the Minister for the Environment. Kieran, could you start by telling me who are the parties involved in this case? So this case uh, involves uh, Whitehaven Coal, a mining company. It was looking to expand one of its coal mines in northern New South Wales. Uh, if that is approved, that'll ultimately result in the emission of you know about 100 million tonnes of CO2 uh, into the atmosphere. And that went up for environmental approval from the Federal Environment Minister, Suzanne Lee. Students leading a class action against a coal mine extension in Australia had their first day of hearing on Tuesday. In response to this, eight Australian teenagers and an 86-year-old nun, they went off to the federal court. The landmark claim by a group of eight teenagers argues that the expansion of Whitehaven's Vickery coal mine will contribute to climate change. And they asked for an injunction to prevent the Environment Minister from approving the proposal for this coal mine expansion. We face an increasing amount of natural disasters and the climate is becoming unlivable for us. One of the plaintiffs, the lead plaintiff, was a teenager called Anjali Sharma, and she's been really vocal in uh, underscoring the significance of this action and the ultimate outcome. This is a crisis that disproportionately affects people of colour, young people and marginalised people around the world. And so this court case, as you've said, it's about this specific coal mine in New South Wales, but tell me more about the the bigger legal argument that's being made here by the teenagers and, and by this nun about protecting future generations from climate change. On one hand, this is a really radical idea, but... On the other hand, it's actually continuing a long-standing common law tradition. So the common law um, for about 100 years has said that we owe each other duties of care, you know, to act in a way that we don't cause harm to our neighbours. Um, and so, you know, that area of law called tort law has pervaded all areas of our life. When we drive in a car, you know, when we injure ourselves at work, you know, it's, it's this regime of tort law that's governing and surrounding that. So what these teenagers and their litigation guardian, the the 86-year-old nun, were seeking to do was expand that into the climate era to say that that duty that you don't injure your neighbour when it comes to the minister uh, required that she doesn't cause foreseeable harm to the next generation of Australians and that she would be doing that if she were to permit this coal mine to go ahead and therefore that should be prevented by the court. Mm. Okay, and so the decision was recently handed down. Can you tell me about what the judge found? Please call on the matter. Calling BID 607 of 2020, 
uh, Anjali Sharma and others by their litigation representatives. So we're in Melbourne, just as the city was going into lockdown, a courtroom on William Street, and the grey-haired federal court judge, uh, Morty Bromberg, was delivering a brief summary of his 161-page, 70,000-word, really mammoth decision. I will refer to the applicants and the Australian children they represent collectively as the children. He was speaking to a handful of masked lawyers and barristers in front of him and to the world via a live stream. The need for coherence in the law requires that the broad statutory discretion conferred on the Minister by Parliament not be impermissibly impaired by the imposition of duty of care. And he was making a number of fairly uncontroversial observations about the law of negligence. There would be such an impair impairment if the scope of the duty of care which the common law recognises extends beyond a duty to take reasonable care to avoid personal injury to the children. But then in this really pivotal moment, he paused, he took a breath and he said, Having weighed and balanced those considerations, the court is satisfied that a duty of care should be recognised. This was a landmark moment in Australian climate litigation. In other words, the Environment Minister owes these uh, teenagers a duty of care not to exacerbate the impact of the climate crisis. And that is a really big deal. So what does that mean then for the future of Whitehaven's coal mine, the one that it wanted to expand? Is that expansion off the cards as a result of this? Well, not quite. And this is the, the caveat to the significance of the decision. The judge didn't actually issue the injunction because he found that he wasn't satisfied that the minister was going to breach the duty of care because she hadn't actually given the mine approval. Uh, the judge said that there was still a possibility she wouldn't breach it and therefore it was inappropriate to grant this injunction. And so at the time, some of the newspapers said that this was a loss for these plaintiffs. Uh, the owners of the coal mine, Whitehaven, even issued a statement to the stock exchange where they effectively claimed victory. But the lawyers that I spoke to uh, had a very different view. Stunning is the word I've used for to describe the decision. I just thought it was amazing. I couldn't believe it. One of the barristers I spoke to uh, was a guy called Dr Chris McGrath from up in Brisbane. He's been the mastermind, really, for a lot of climate litigation resisting new coal mines over the past decade, although he wasn't involved in this current case. To have uh, a judge just accept the science and just say all of these terrible things are going to happen and there is a duty to take action now to prevent them, it shouldn't be shocking, but, uh, yeah, after 15, 20 years of the opposite sort of decisions, then to me it was shocking. And he said to me, this is Marbo for the climate. I think this decision is of enormous significance and I think we will look back in future years and see it like Marbo for climate. Uh, and really, he's laid, given a, a formula for litigants uh, as well as other courts to find a duty of care for, effectively, for climate damage. We'll be back after this.
The Every Moment Matters campaign provides accurate, evidence-based information and advice about alcohol, pregnancy and breastfeeding. It has been created by the Foundation for Alcohol Research and Education and endorsed and funded by the Australian Government. Alcohol use during pregnancy can lead to Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder, or FASD, a lifelong disability. So make the moment you start trying the moment to stop drinking. Visit everymomentmatters.org.au to find out more. For long-time editor Winnie Dunn, there were a few rules she followed when writing her debut novel. I really don't subscribe to writing for the sake of, you know, trauma dumping or getting your trauma out. That's what a therapist is for, please. <laughs> please go see a therapist. We're very pro-therapy on yeah, this. If, yeah, that's, no, if that's what you're using writing for. I'm Michael Williams, and on this week's very therapeutic episode of Read This, I chat with Winnie Dunn. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Karen, what does this court case tell us about the idea of duty of care in terms of future climate change impacts? How significant is it? It's significant for a number of reasons. Firstly, it can't really be legislated over. So one of the problems that Australia's environmental lawyers have had for a long time, really since the early 1990s, they've been exploring every conceivable area of law seeking to prevent climate harm. So they've gone through planning and administrative law, human rights law, corporate law, and and now we're in this law of, of negligence, of tort law. But a number of those other areas can just be legislated over. It is incredibly frustrating when you win and then, you know, you get legislated over. Chris McGrath, the Brisbane barrister, he told me that once he had a win in the Court of Appeal at 10am and by 2pm that day, the state government had already changed the law, turning his win into a loss. But that's the risk you take in any big litigation against government, that if you lose, you know, they control the rule book. They can make laws to overcome, you know, a decision. So what's significant about the finding that a duty of care exists, as long as it's upheld on appeal, it can't easily be legislated over. The Commonwealth doesn't have constitutional authority to change, radically change tort law. The only way they could really get around this would be to pass a law expressly excluding their ability to be sued for this duty of care, which would be politically, you know, not not the greatest uh, approach to take. You know, this doesn't necessarily just apply to the Environment Minister. It could apply to all members of our government. It could apply to state and territory governments. Okay, so what options are available then to the federal government? I think they'll appeal is the first thing, uh, and that'll firstly go up to a full bench of the federal court probably later this year. So whoever loses there will almost certainly go to the high court, and given the significance of this case, you'd expect that sometime next year our highest court in the land will be looking at this question. But because the climate lawyers and these kids won at first instance, that's going to be a challenge for the minister to overturn. It's not impossible but certainly this is positive in terms of Australia, you know, our climate future and, and, and moving towards a position where our government takes climate action more seriously. There are very few legislative options that could get around this. So really, I think it's only the appeal that is an option for the Morrison government. Uh, and if they lose on appeal, this will really fundamentally reshape the, the state of Australian climate litigation and, and force the government 
to move towards climate action because if they don't, there's going to be lawsuits left, right and centre. And what are the bigger picture implications here, Kieran? How is this case likely to change the landscape in Australia in terms of action on climate change? You know, we have a, a government at the moment that is really doing very little on climate action, on reaching our commitments under Paris. And I think this case will provide the, the first step for more claims that take on the government over that inaction and say that inaction ultimately represents a breach of uh, the duty of care our government owes to uh, young Australians. It'll also potentially lead to cases against uh, big emitters, big mining companies. This really, if it uh, succeeds on appeal, opens the door to a next wave of climate litigation. And and that follows really in the footsteps of other countries as well. We're seeing all around the world, in the absence of political action, the courts are providing an avenue for climate activists to seek positive change. And uh, until now, Australia's courts haven't been quite as creative, haven't been quite as uh, innovative in seeking to address this issue of our time, this, this existential climate crisis we face. Um, which is why this case, uh, Sharma and the Minister for Environment, is so significant because it really is that first Australian step um, towards climate action urged on by the courts. I definitely have hope because if you look around you can see all the incredible climate activists, young and old, all these people fighting for what's right and we are making change. Karen, thank you so much for your time. Thanks. As a a 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points. Sign up at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. Also in the news today, New South Wales recorded 16 new locally transmitted cases of COVID-19 on Sunday a significantly lower caseload than the 35 reported on Saturday. The Chief Health Officer, Kerry Chant, said 14 of the cases were linked to previously confirmed cases, with five of them household contacts. Sydney's lockdown is due to end this Friday, but it's unclear at this stage if it'll be extended. Meanwhile, Queensland reported one locally transmitted case of COVID-19 as the state came out of its lockdown. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.